0: Welcome to Relax Your Grid. I'm your host, Matt Brown. Before I get to today's interview, I'm excited to tell you that I've created a Spotify playlist featuring all the music from the show. It's called Relax Your Playlist, and you should be able to find it if you do a quick search on Spotify for that name. It features the music from each episode, both the snippets and the full tracks at the end. And I add to it every time there's a new episode out. Today's show features my interview with guitarist Mark Harris. We talk about his debut album, Old Time Guitar, which he recorded and released during the COVID-19 pandemic. Make sure to check out Mark's YouTube video lesson of his arrangement of Ducks on the Mill Pond on his YouTube channel. Mark Harris, welcome to Relax Your Grid. Hi, uh, it's great to be here. So we're recording in Fort Collins, Colorado, where we now both live. I met you, though, when I still lived in Denver. Mm-hmm. And this was before a pandemic ravaged our, our, our world. Um, and you and Dominica, your wife, who plays cello, came to the old time jam that I briefly held at the People's Building, a wonderful art space in Aurora, Colorado. Do you remember how we got from you coming to the old time jam with Dominica to me, encouraging you to make a record, and then now having this beautiful guitar record out in the world. Um, yeah, it's a little fuzzy. Um, maybe we we were Facebook
1: friends, and uh, I put up a guitar video, and you were, you know, seemed to really like it, <laughs> and you know, we we're, were very we're uh very complimentary, and I think we yeah
0: we got to like playing some tunes from there. That sounds exactly right. I can picture it now because subsequent to you. F- you two coming to the jam. I know my dad, Tim, took some photos of the jam, and then I tried to tag everyone, and I found you and Dominica on Facebook. And then when we became Facebook friends, I noticed you were posting these videos of yourself playing solo arrangements on the guitar of some of my favorite old time tunes, and I was just blown away. I'm so excited to have you on the on the pod is that you play the guitar in a way that I've always wanted someone to play the guitar for (laughs) old time music Um, and the problem for me is as much as I love bluegrass in so many ways the problem for me is the bluegrass guitar approach so this morning before you you came over to record I listened down to your whole record again and I also listened to some Norman Blake and Brian Sutton and Cody Kilby And I'd been listening to Jake Workman's new album recently. And there's something very different about the bluegrass guitar approach, particularly the modern bluegrass guitar approach. Whereas what excited me from the start when I first saw you post a Facebook video is that you're able to, with your arrangements, acknowledge the fiddle and banjo sounds while still sounding like a guitar. And never once have I heard you play a stereotypical guitar lick in any of your arrangements, <laughs> even though I know you used to play some bluegrass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you do it? Like it, it blows my mind. How do you, how do you play old time music on the guitar <laughs> as a lead musician and not fall into any of the traps of like, Oh, here's a Tony Rice lick or here's that Lester flat derived thing that we all know and love. Thank you. Thank. <laughs>
1: I really appreciate that. Part of it, I think, is well, you know, just talking about gen- the general sort of approach. I think early on, I decided, I, I, you know, I didn't want to kind of go the way of a lot of bluegrass guitarists when it came to um, embellishing these kinds of tunes. You know, because on guitar, you sort of have to do something in addition to the to the tune to to kind of bring it to life. To you know, like you don't have a lot of sustain right. on the instrument. Um, so one kind of approach, the sort of more kind of like modern bluegrass approach, is to just kind of like fill in those spaces between between notes. Um like melodically with uh kind of ornaments and
0: kind of bluesy, um like chromatic stuff. Um Right, so you're turning like half notes into quarter notes, quarter notes into eighths, eighths into sixteenths. So there's just like a relentless stream of information. Yeah.
1: And that's, I have so much respect for that style and I, um, and it's can be really mesmerizing, but in the old, in the context of old time, it just never really felt to me like it would, it would be something that, that fit, you know, even though this record is me playing and, you know, the Facebook videos that I've done have been, you know, me playing solo, the primary context I have in mind when I'm, when I'm, thinking about, you know, playing these tunes is a kind of old time jam setting uh, with, you know, at least one fiddle player and at least one banjo player. So w- while while those those kinds of arrangements could work as a solo sort of thing, it never really felt to
0: me like it would fit in a wider kind of old time context. Right. So part of it is, is knowing that you're going to go to a jam with these arrangements. And of course, you know how to play the chords and the bass runs that we all learn as old time guitar players, but you want to be able to fit in and not steal the limelight or, or do anything that distracts from the banjo and the fiddle lead parts.
1: Yeah. And this, the sort of modern bluegrass style is just, is really geared towards bluegrass as a genre, which is soloistic. Yeah. Um, And I sort of didn't want to kind of go down, down that route. And so my, my approach tends, tends to involve more, you know, my, you know, the things I'm adding, to the melody are kinds of kind of more like the things that a fiddle player or a banjo player would add to the melody. So, um, kind of rhythmic pulses and like drone notes,
0: things things in that kind of world. One of the things that I that I can hear in your playing, and this was true in those videos, because when when we met at the jam, I couldn't hear your parts clearly to the exclusion of everyone else because you were fitting in with everyone and you were playing guitar and other people were playing other instruments. So only when also, I, there was a lot of people at that jam, <laughs> there was like 17 people, I think, which is that's a lot of people for a jam, because it's hard to hear any one person really well. But it was fun. It was a great time. And I'm so glad I met everyone there, including you and your wife. Um, so one thing I hear in your playing, to go back to this concept of like, why doesn't it sound like Brian Sutton or or any of these just virtuosic bluegrass guitar gods? one of the things I hear in your playing that I always wished more guitar players did is I can hear that you learn these tunes from the fiddle. Like you, you obviously have listened to the fiddle player, the source recording, whether it's a field recording or a commercial release from the golden era of country music or a more modern, like there's a, you play one of Gary Harrison's tunes. So that's going to be more modern, of course, um, as a fiddle player, first and foremost, I'm very sensitive to when a melody is presented as such versus when it's maybe 80% there, but then 20% licks. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really what drew drew me in as well Is yeah, you've got the drones, you've got the right-hand rhythm, but it's also clear that your sourcing is directly from the fiddle. You're not learning these from guitar players. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, It's... Pretty
1: much yeah, pretty much all the learning I do trying to learn these tunes is, is just, just going to sort either source recordings or, you know, the the wealth of like cliff top videos there are around, like to see some some of the like the best like fiddlers, like contemporary fiddlers, you know, and like how how they play play these tunes. Um but yeah, it's pretty much
0: always either from fiddle
1: or banjo recordings.
0: Right, right. So let's let's talk a bit about the record and then and then I'd love for for folks to hear your story of how you how you got here. Um, I don't know if you can notice, uh, dear listener, but Mark has a slightly different accent than I do. (laughs) So you might be wondering which continent he's from. Um, And that that will be revealed before we conclude. Um, But we're not going to tell you yet. (laughs) Your album starts with Grub Springs, speaking of great fiddle sources, uh, comes from W.E. Clunch, one of my favorite fiddle recordings from from that era, not just because I put this song as the first song on my <laughs> first record, do I love that it's the first song on your first record, but um, tell us a little bit about about what's going on here. We'll play a clip in a second, but um, what what do you have going on in your guitar part? Well, first of all, I I also
1: love the the source recording of this one. The fiddling is you know amazing, and there's there's something about the way it was recorded where his fiddle is like definitely overdriving the uh, recording equipment a little bit, and it just makes it sound even more badass. Like it's it's just like got these um it just got this like fuzz to it that is like uh, amazing. Um, And he's kind of like whooping and hollering in the background (laughs) and it's just so it's got so much energy to it um so i wanted to try and kind of replicate that energy a little bit um one thing you can one thing you can hear so in the a part of this tune it's obviously a very simple melody just that phrase happens a lot um so uh and that's definitely something that if i just played that melody on guitar it would not be very very interesting um so uh one thing you can hear me doing is sort of like a banjo inspired thing where I'm um it's in the key of A and I'm I'm kind of between uh those melody notes um those longer melody notes the da 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 I'm sort of bouncing back and forth between those notes on lower strings and then my open high E string just to get sort of like uh a sort of um like banjo droning kind of effect kind of Going back and forth between you know to the thumb drone. Awesome.
0: Awesome. I love it. this tune it's one of the one of the great dance tunes i think in old time music and simplicity is really part of its its beauty like you're saying um but it's also such a memorable i think the b part like once the a part has this repetition yeah on the first three notes of the scale but then you get to the b part and it's it it just opens up in this way that is kind of unexpected if you never heard the tune before you you probably wouldn't guess that that's the b part Mm -hmm. and and it's a highly successful tune in that when you hear the a part plus the b part you got a whole piece of music and it's it's very satisfying and then you just need to hear the tune again and again and again Uh and i love that this opens your record because it's a it's a common tune at jams anymore and a great tune you might hear a square dance or a contra dance if the band is an old-time band um but it also shows like it immediately from the first seconds shows your style. Like we hear, <laughs> we hear the rhythm of your right hand. We hear the drones, we hear the faithful, but not slavish interpretation of the melody and just all the great variations even micro variations on the melody, like a fiddler would have, like a banjo player would have. Um, so it's part of me just wanted to make this podcast the entire album, just playing from top to bottom. <laughs> but I realized I should probably ask you some questions about it. Um, before we go on to any other tracks on the record, though, what do you remember? What the very first song you ever learned on the guitar would have been? Oh man, I'm sure it
1: was something my dad taught me. Um, so it could have been. I I, I honestly can't remember remember uh, right now. It could have been like a Neil Young song you know just something with a couple of open chords yeah um that that's likely but uh i can't remember the specific song i think when i first got into guitar i was into like green day and the offspring and all those kinds of those kinds of bands so it could have been a song by them too
0: nice nice what led you to, from the neil young green day <laughs> offspring world you know that genre <laughs> that that world whatever you call it how did you get from there to w E. Clunch and Gary Harrison and John Morgan Salyer. What, what's the journey? So I guess
1: just growing up, I always had a sort of an affinity for playing acoustic guitar that I kind of dipped in and out of, you know, as a, you know, in my like obligatory, like metal phase and stuff like that. But, but um, you know, my dad played acoustic guitar and I, I kind of would, that was kind of often the, the sort of default for me. And as I, as I got older, um, and my musical tastes kind of evolved, I started to get more into, into these genres that were, that were kind of primarily acoustic, um, into kind of folk and, you know, broadly folk and Americana style, style things. Um, uh, my dad got me into Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings, which was, um, a kind of big step in, in that direction. Yeah. Um, that's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Um, and also, you know, more like finger style, folk and blues guitarists, people like Chris Smither. Um, so I, uh, so that's kind of where I was coming from. Um, uh, and then, and then, you know, from there, um, you know, definitely, you know, Gillian Welsh and David Rawlings being the, the kind of gateway drug into, uh, more kind of traditional bluegrass and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously learning to do you know uh learning to get around on the guitar with a f- like flat picking that's kind of that's it's you know that's a whole world um and so i was i was kind of in in that sort of place for a while um but then that in turn kind of got me into listening to um more uh more old-time kind of influenced players you know people like um Brittany Haas um you know, people, and, and, you know, straight up old time people like Bruce Molsky, um, you know, and just kind of, you know, those, those kinds of players who were really steeped in old time, but you, you could, you could come across without being, you know, without having like gone to cliff top or without like necessarily knowing much about, about old time music. And so they, they were kind of the precipitating thing there for kind of getting, getting more specifically into like, out of the kind of bluegrass world and into the old-time world.
0: So you mentioned Clifftop. For those who don't know, it's it's like the old-time music mecca. It's, it's the Appalachian String Band Music Festival, and it happens in Clifftop, West Virginia. I went to it as a kid when it was still a pretty small gathering, but it has now grown into this massive affair where anyone who loves old-time music and has the means tries to go. From mm-hmm. anywhere in the world, I mean, there are people, there are people who journey from rather far afield to get to this part of West Virginia. It's a beautiful part of the country. Um, have you and Dominica gone? Not yet, no. Okay, but of course, on YouTube now, through the wonders of technology, someone like Mark can find, or or the listener, <laughs> you can you can search for videos of old time tunes, and you'll come across jams that people have filmed at Clifftop and incredible renditions of music played sometimes by professional musicians, sometimes by hobbyists who might be on the level of a professional musician, but who have a a day job of their own. Um, I grew up surrounded by people who loved old time music, but very few of them made it their vocation. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Bruce Mulski. Bruce became one of my fiddle teachers. But when I first met him, he was still working as an engineer. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the same time that I was getting to know him and learn from him, was when he was starting to transition into um, full-time music mode. And now he he certainly has embodied that for so long now. It, it's kind of, he is probably the most ubiquitous old-time mm-hmm. musician and Definitely. particularly fiddler, like you say. And then proteges of his, like Brittany Haas um, and many, many more. I mean, he's one of my biggest influences. Like we are everywhere playing old time music and and thanks in large part to his accessibility Mm -hmm. and his his generosity and his great teaching because he you can find him at music camps and workshops this is of course without covid um and he's also a, a professor at berkeley college of music in boston so for those who are college bound um you might see bruce there You mentioned Brittany Haas for a second, and I know enough about Brittany. Um I've known her for since we were teenagers, and you to know that you both went to Princeton University. <laughs> yes. Um let's let's give people a little kernel of information. How many planes did you have to get on to come <laughs> from your home to get to Princeton? It depends. Okay. What's the shortest the number? The shortest of- is two. Two but it could be more, but it could be more. Okay. So that maybe gives a little information as people try and suss out this accent, this this beautiful accent. Um, and did you study music at Princeton? No, uh, I attended Princeton as a grad student
1: in philosophy. And how does that inform your old time guitar? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tend to overthink things. Uh, no, (laughs) um, I was I was there for for a number of years my uh you know I met my wife there she is she is a professional philosopher um so uh so I'm kind of still very much in that in that world um even though I've 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 left that behind now left the sort of you know the idea of professional academia um behind. Was that an aspiration at one point, or did, one music, point, did music always seem like it was going to um, be the thing? It did always seem like it was going to be the thing. It was a it was a possibility, and I was it was something I, I toyed around with, but um, ultimately uh, did not win out. I often kind of think about how the the experience affected my musicianship, and it's you know if it's you know it's kind of hard to it would be hard to quantify, but um. One of the good things about philosophy is it helps you think critically, indeed, and really be you know try and be clear about you know what your presuppositions are when you're going into a uh, into some kind of debate or, um, topic, and I do find myself thinking in philosophical terms a lot of the time when I'm playing, in particular, more of these kinds of more conceptual questions about music and what music is for. As you know in old time music there's, there's some very fraught questions about uh, things like tradition and authenticity and uh, I feel like a philosophical background has helped me sort of not worry about some of the, some of those issues as much as I otherwise would and just kind of seeing that like you know all of the value of these, these kinds of things and I do think they are valuable comes from kind of what the value that we put on them. You know it's only insofar as you're aiming at a particular brand of, of being quote-unquote authentic or traditional it's only in so far as you're aiming at that 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 becomes a sort of standard by which to be judged so I, I find some of the some of the lazier appeals to those kinds of values i find it a little easier to kind of just not not worry about them because i guess you know a lot of the a lot of the disagreements tend to end up being surface level disagreements about what the person offering the offering the criticism takes to be the valuable thing or like what they get out of music. When there's no one thing that everybody has to get out of music. There's just, There's there's different types of music and there are different types of people and different people get different types of things out of music. What do you get out of old time music? For me, what I always come back to is certain kind of, Purely just like sonic uh, features of the music, I'm always coming back to this. There's just a particular rhythm um, and a particular kind of feeling, like emotive kind of content that I feel like I only get from from listening to old time music. And it, of course, it's connected to other more social things like the you know the the music being communal, having this really strong community spirit behind it. But I always keep coming back to just the just the sounds that I that are there that I can't I feel like I can't get anywhere else I
0: happen to know that you're quite a fan of Dua Lipa (laughs) yes what do you get out of her music that is different than you get out of old-time music yeah again it's 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 just it
1: scratches a completely different itch and um for yeah there's there's definitely you know when you when you kind of say you're into old-time music there's definitely a a kind of there's a set of assumptions that sort of come come to mind that you're a sort of you're like philosophically a traditionalist you think right that was when music was music (laughs) or something like that and I completely disagree um you know there's do I there's just yeah there's just I I love uh you know just like I love old-time music for the distinctive things it offers I love uh modern like dance pop for the things that it offers there's no tension there if you don't feel like there has to be one right you don't (laughs) inject the tension yeah exactly
0: (laughs) you are the first person i've ever heard say that you worry less thanks to your philosophical training (laughs) about whatever topic rather than worrying more I feel like I was taught to just worry more accurately <laughs> or efficiently. But I do like this this line of thought here that that there is an application of that graduate work that you did in terms of how you approach your place in the music and how you approach music and its value and its um, its purposes and 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 what itches different genres or artists scratch for you. Um, when you are sitting down to arrange a great fiddle or banjo tune, um, what's usually your first step? like talk us talk to us a little bit about your process when you've stumbled across a cool recording, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or wherever what what do you do? The first step is often just kind of like plotting out the tune,
1: seeing where it's gonna fall and where like on the guitar, there tend to be depending on the key, there tend to be at least like now that I've been sort of playing in this style a while, uh, there there tend to be certain positions and certain places where I know I can I can get a lot of melody notes and then also get some like open strings ringing or some drone notes. So I'll tend to just sort of default to a few of those different positions and just sort of try things out. You know, oh, how does this phrase sound if I play it with a you know, say I'm on a G tune? Like, oh, how does this like. D E F phrase sound when I have a high G above it, um, or how does it sound if I'm playing more in kind of a first position, and uh, you know things like that where I'm 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 trying to see how how I can best sort of string things together in a way that's going to be that's going to be sound like smooth, um, you know, because that's one of that's one of the things like I'm picking every you know almost every individual note and part of what I'm doing is I'm like, like, I'm trying to make it sound like I'm
0: not doing that a little bit. Right. Because a fiddler would be slurring. Yeah. Connecting notes and phrases, and you're now learning the fiddle. So you you viscerally know what that feels like to group several notes in kind of almost like you're falling down the stairs. Like there's like this momentum, Mm -hmm. but rather on guitar, you have to generate each new note. Yeah. You can hammer on. Yeah. You can do a pull off or a slide, but that's only two notes. You're not going to yeah. Maybe get away with too many more than that unless you're really dexterous. Yeah, so like part of it I think
1: what goes through my head is like how can this sit on the guitar in a way that the natural phrasing is going to come out in a in a nice way. Right. Like I my string where my string change is going to happen in the right place. Um uh that's, you know, not going to you know make the picking awkward in such a way that that's the notes I you know, I get weird accents on certain notes, and yeah, so it's like a lot of it is trying to cover up some of some of that, uh, some of those kind of just like technical necessities of flat picking on a guitar, right? Um, so that it can have a little bit more of that kind of phrase structure that you would find uh, in like a fiddle part.
0: Yeah, and as a fiddle player, I know that I have in my toolbox the ability to change my tuning. And whether you call it a wildcat key like John Salyer did or just cross-tuning, violins and and, and their various relatives in in vernacular music around the world have, for centuries, changed the tuning. It's not just the G, D, A, E from low to high. There are other options. And on this record of yours that I love so much, you don't force yourself to just stay in the box of what is now standard guitar tuning. and that really opens up a world of possibilities.
1: What I found myself doing more and more over time is, uh, well, for, I mean, first of all, I, I'm going into some alternate tunings, but they're they're not really they don't really correspond to. You might expect there to be a lot of these like open chord tunings, open G or open D. Um, and there is one track on the album where I use an open open G tuning, but generally. Um, the kind of things I try, I I want to be able to do melodically, especially up in in higher range of the instrument. Um, it can it can make things it can make that difficult if I'm if I'm in, uh, a pure just open chord tuning, um, and part of it might just be like I like knowing where everything is when I'm playing when I'm playing these uh. some of these
0: melodies um high up on the instrument I like I like being able to kind of know where I am (laughs) so does that mean you're starting from standard tuning and just maybe changing one string yeah to get the required drone or that one more. yeah usually it's it's it's
1: doing something with the with the bass strings um to you know to be able to get like uh different kind of ringing ringing chords so um for example I have one one tuning uh that's in drop d which is a fairly common guitar tuning, just lowering the, the low E to, down to a D um, so that your bottom three notes form uh, a sort of open D5 chord. And what track is that? Oh, that's um, Roscoe Parish's Waltz. Mm. In addition, um, I've plenty, plenty where I also drop the A string down to a G, which means you get a sort of D G D G in your bottom strings, kind of like a like a cross-tuned um, fiddle, but but the wrong way around. Uh, <laughs> but still, the right combination. Yeah, the right combination of notes. Um, but then I still have the top strings kind of where they usually would be, so I can um, sort of uh,
0: easily get to all the notes that I want. Yeah. Tell us about... There's this really groovy Grey Eagle on the record. Where does that come from? Um,
1: that I've been playing that one for ages. That's a Marcus Martin um, recording. Uh, it's also... It's related to um, the J.D. Harris version and the Manco Sneed version. Those fiddlers all kind of knowing one... Having known one another and... and but the, the the Marcus Martin version has this cool like crookedness in the in the b part that i just really love and uh yeah i've been playing that one for for ages i i found it early early on in my old time journey just kind of browsing around on slippery hill um uh and probably you know probably at the time i was like oh i've heard people say greg or well, i bet this is this is the tune you know not realizing how many different grey eagles there are, um, and yeah, it just it just kind of like took root and and has, I've just been playing it ever ever since um, that one. Uh, I used to play that one in in standard, but as I've been experimenting with some of these these different tunings, I, I I play that one with all three of my lowest strings down a step. Um. So uh. So I've got like an open C, uh, and so it's a C tune, and so I it, that kind of helps helps um especially in some of the higher higher pitched portions that i can always come back and hit that that open c and kind of get a little bit more sustain awesome let's give it a listen
0: That is such a journey. Then talking about, you know, just how tunes are constructed. There is nothing about that tune where I'm like, okay, come on. We got to be done with this. Like, let's move <laughs> on. It's always like, what's, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And you get to that B part and it's so like languid and, and yet you finally get to the high note at the end and it's both, both satisfying and also not quite resolved. And it's just a brilliant, brilliant choice. I'm a huge Marcus Martin fan. His his music is something I discovered when I first started digging a little deeper into old time myself and went to the Swannanoa Gatherings Old Time Week, which is where I met so many of my fiddle teachers, Brad Leftwich, Bruce Mulski, Kirk Setfin, Raina Gellert. And it was maybe Brad who first told me about Marcus Martin, which is cool because he was from Swannanoa, North Carolina, which mm-hmm. is right around where warren wilson college is where that that wonderful week happens you also do a, a great version of ducks on the mill pond on this record and i, I want to mention it because it's one of these tunes that is so common these days that some people don't even play it it's like you know why would you play that tune everyone knows it but <laughs> you play it so well and um you've just released a an instructional video where you show folks your approach talk, talk to us a little bit about that that and your uh, and your teaching style
1: that tune feels like a good, felt like a good, a good kind of way of introducing people to some of the, some of the elements of, of how I play. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the A part, you know, just, just kind of is, really centered on like a just an open D chord, um, and it, pretty much everything that's happening is, is coming from the right hand, so it gives you a really good, uh, chance to kind of get, get used to, some of the, um
0: some of the different you know the different things i'm doing there and just to jump in about the right hand in the lesson video you talk about how to get the this kind of rhythmic persistence that involves like your right hand doing a different thing on the downstroke versus the upstroke you know Mm -hmm. there's a lift off of the strings and there's a there's kind of a knocking or rapping down on the strings very much like claw hammer banjo that is so different than anything a bluegrass guitar flat picker would ever do. But part of your style that you talk about, at least for the a part in particular, is this difference between what's, what's happening on the downstroke versus the upstroke. Yeah. It's funny that I've, that's something I've come to realize is, is,
1: is distinctive about the way I play. Um, in particular that difference in, in, um, accent between the downstrokes and the upstrokes and i've only come to realize that just through trying to teach other people <laughs> so getting students who, who want to learn um to play old time tunes in this way and and then kind of like actually watching my my hand while i'm while i'm playing and, and realizing some of these parallels that you're talking about with with the banjo um so so yeah it's it's definitely been uh it's been great uh, for that reason, and all other kinds of reasons, trying to trying to teach this stuff, and just kind of um, getting a new perspective on on exactly what I'm doing. <laughs>
0: you kind of alluded to this. I know you're a great teacher of your old time guitar style, but you also make a living teaching all sorts of other styles of music and several different instruments right now, right? Yeah. Most, you know,
1: my, my specialty is guitar, but I'm, you know, teach various other, other fretted string instruments. um, And, uh, you know, ukulele bass and uh, electric bass that is. Um, So uh, yeah, I'm uh, I've, That's one of the one of the benefits of having had such a kind of circuitous musical journey, is that I've picked up a little of a lot of different things along the way. So it's been um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun getting to you know teach uh, blues guitar playing or um, uh, finger style kind of folk guitar or swing jazz, and you know just uh, so so that kind
0: of gives gives a lot of variety to my to my day. Yeah, so you're never bored, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about arranging one of these guitar fiddle tunes as a fingerstyle piece rather than flat-picked?
1: That has occurred to me. Um, there's this thread in, in Irish music of guitar players doing fingerstyle arrangements of reels and jigs and sort of things like that. So the the kind of parallel in old-time music definitely has, has occurred to me. Part of why I haven't gone that route is... Once again, I think the primary kind of context that I have in mind being this kind of old time jam scenario, right? And a lot of my a lot of my kind of uh, the things I've tried to develop in my playing have been to have the guitar sound more rhythmic and bigger and like more have more sustain and uh, as beautiful as finger style arrangements of traditional tunes can be. That's kind of going in the other direction of this more exactly more. Uh, solo guitar um sort of uh delicate sort of thing which at least just for me has not been kind of where i want to be going with this i will
0: point out to you mark though i don't know if you noticed this but you made a solo record (laughs) so uh, you are not delicate in the pretentious sort of way at all there is delicacy in how you execute this the, the most sweet melodies on this record but um You have entered the (laughs) the world of of Bandcamp and Spotify with this initial offering as a solo old-time guitar player. So I want to give you permission right here. If you ever attempted to arrange something for fingerstyle old-time guitar, I think you're allowed to. (laughs) Yeah. But maybe, yeah. I I see your point. It probably wouldn't go over well at the jam, or it would just be inaudible at the jam, which is no one wants to be inaudible in the long run, maybe when you're first starting, you want to go to a jam and have low <laughs> impact. But I, I hear what you're saying. Let's do a little lightning round with a couple of tracks on this <laughs> record, because I, I could talk to you all day about your music and uh, your philosophy degree and your home continent. Tell us a little bit about Benton's Dream. That one, that one's fun. Um,
1: It's the challenge with that tune is how bluesy Benton Flippin's playing is, and how how many of these kind of little slides and stuff he, he gets in there. And so, trying to replicate that on guitar can be can be tricky. Um, I'm I do as much as I can on this this track with you know li- little bends here and there. Um, it's very convincing. Thank you. Most a modal tunes like this one you're you you have this this choice as a fretted instrument am i going to hit the, the the minor third or the major third because
0: often the fiddler is somewhere in between right so in this key c sharp or c natural or because you don't have you don't have a middle ground between those two frets per se no uh so Nothing dependable at least um so a lot of the time i'm i'm, I'm trying
1: I'm trying to kind of split the difference by bending a C natural a little bit toward a C sharp uh, toward a C sharp um so figuring out exactly how to approach tunes like this took me a while um, but I've I've found a kind of certain kind of like hand position where I I feel like I can get uh, most of what I need there's something just so fun about the this tune uh, and the B part where you just get to sit on this this uh, G note for forever it seems <laughs> and you know so that's re- it's really fun uh it's you get that great kind of building of tension um over the course of that that section right when is it ever going to resolve back to one <laughs>
0: All the tunes on the album which one did you arrange first
1: i think grub springs is an, another one of those tunes that i've been playing forever and the arrangement has changed in some small details but the the broad strokes of it have remained pretty pretty consistent um so that that tune was kind of a no-brainer it's always felt like it really uh you know it really sounded good in that that particular arrangement um and yeah that was i I would say that tune was even even kind of one of the tunes that helped me develop a lot of the a lot of the techniques and and things that i that i um go on to use on, on a lot of the other other
0: tunes that's so cool it's a it's a great example of your style and i it's one of the best examples of your ability to present the melody in two different octaves and really really create a new texture without leaving home like you're still playing like the a part for example the the pattern of the a b c sharp over and over again Um, but to hear it in a new octave and with a different drone combination and a different timbre to the sound because you're up the octave and closer to the sound hole. And um, yeah, it just it allows you it allows you this variety of sounds that I think is it makes a solo guitar record like yours so listenable and so fun from top to bottom. And like Patrick Alberg's that I talked about in my first episode, um, there's never a moment when I'm like wishing something different would happen. Like I'm so content to just hear you play guitar for the entire record. And I can't wait for the next one and the one after that. (laughs) Thank Um, so yeah, I, I think you've, you've really achieved something remarkable. This is, this is an, an exaggeration, but not much of one. If I was trying to think of, of your potential for impact on the old time world and the guitar world. And this seems like it could have the kind of ramifications that mother Maybell Carter's guitar style has done where people, I'm not kidding. You're laughing at me. <laughs> but where people like for a long time after have have either mimicked her or been inspired by her in a way that, you know, she took these concepts that some of which are on the banjo, some of which are on the guitar and combined them in a way that is just immediately recognizable. So listenable and so complete. And your playing does that, too. I I love jamming with you, but I also would just sit and listen to you play any of these tunes any day of the week. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. People have been waiting the whole episode to know where you grew up. Mark, where did you grow up? I grew up in Perth, Western Australia.
1: What's it like there? It's nice. <laughs> it's uh it's uh really really naturally beautiful and great weather. Um it's, uh, it's a it's it's a fair sized city, but it still has a little little bit of a small town vibe to it, which uh, I could probably appreciate now. Growing up, it was a little felt a little stifling. It's very isolated from from other population centers in Australia, um, so it's uh, it it has a feeling of being a little a little dis- disconnected, uh, especially if you know. Um, if you're a musician, right. The music scene, you know, the music scene there, uh, tends to be sort of very close knit, but then it's hard to, to expand and, and, uh, make contacts in other, other kind of cities. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I loved growing up there, but there was, there was also, also things that, that, uh, that made me want to get out and explore the world a little bit more. Things like
0: old time music and philosophy. <laughs> exactly. Relax Your Grid is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Matt Brown. This episode was recorded by my father, Tim Brown. Otto Allard is our designer, and his brother Max Allard is responsible for the boogie-woogie banjo sounds that you hear as interludes throughout this episode. Tune in next time for my interview with Bonnie and Taylor Sims of the band Everybody Loves an Outlaw. Until then, relax your grid.